Chapter 29 Reunited I hurried past the souvenir shops lining the main street of Majigorie and entered the main plaza in front of the church, my eyes roaming for Alberto. I finally saw him, standing at the steps, and waved. He waved back and started slowly towards me. My pace quickened, as did his. I saw his happy smile and the crinkle around his shining eyes. We rushed into each other's arms and locked onto each other like the long-lost friends that we were, rocking from side to side, each repeating how glad they were to see the other. After 44 days apart, I was finally with my friend and walking partner again. I released him and roamed his face, unable to contain my joy. He returned my smile affectionately. His green eyes had the same softness and kindness that I had so missed, but now rimmed with a steely light that wasn't there before. His hair was longer and curlier. His face looked thinner, but more luminescent. Our words tumbled out in excitement, tripping into incoherence, and we giggled at our ineptness. I suggested we find a place to sit and speak quietly, so he led me towards an area lined with restaurants. I saw that he moved confidently, but that he had lost weight and that his clothes were hanging off of him. I felt a lump in my throat at the thought that he may have suffered hunger and, seeing a pizzeria, suggested we eat there. I'm fasting, he replied. I stared at him in disbelief. What? Why? Well, this is the last week before Easter Sunday, he said, and most people here are fasting. I'm not doing it because of that, but for more personal reasons. I've been only having bread and water for the last three days. Well, that's why you look so thin, I admonished. I actually feel really good, he contested. I cannot enjoy my pizza while you're watching me only having bread and water, I retorted. You can eat what you like, he said, smiling and shaking his head. Don't worry about me. It was as if we had never separated. We spoke about the routes we had taken and the people in common we had met. Alberto listened with concern as I told him about my infection and with wonder at the amazing kindnesses I received during my journey alone. He understood my decision to go to Lebanon and marveled at the amazing coincidence with Medjugorje that brought me back. We agreed that magic had indeed lined our path and that our separation was a tremendous gift. It was now late afternoon, and I needed to search for a priest named Father Zvetozar, who I was told was expecting me. The priest greeted me warmly at the church office and immediately inquired after my health. From his hurried movements, I could tell he was a busy man. I would later learn that he was the superior of the Franciscan order directing the affairs of the church here. Father Svetozar informed me that he had made all the necessary arrangements for my stay and asked to take some pictures for his parish newsletter. I agreed and motioned for Alberto to join me, explaining to the surprised priest that he was my walking partner and had been waiting here for me for over a month. He shook Alberto's hand and offered for him to stay at my hostel. Alberto politely refused, 
saying he already had accommodations. Alberto stood beside me and the priest took our picture. As a final act of my arrival, I asked Father Svetozar to stamp my letter from Fra Ante, explaining that it was a Camino tradition. I had started collecting these stamps in every church and monastery after Brodarica, where I had stayed with Fra Drago. They were my pilgrim credential, a record of where I had stayed. A delighted Father Svetozar disappeared into his office and returned moments later with my stamp. On March 23rd, 2002, I officially arrived in Medjugorje. Father Svetozar held out a small, bulky envelope. This will take care of your expenses while you are here, he said, handing it to me. You are a guest in our community. Please accept this gift from us. My insistence that I had enough and that I preferred the funds be used for other activities fell on deaf ears. The laughing priest pressed the envelope into my hands and walked away. Inside was a letter of welcome in Father Svetozar's personal handwriting and almost 200 euros in cash. I would like you to have this, I said to Alberto, offering him the money. I don't need it, he said, but I know someone who does. I wondered why he didn't keep the money for himself and who could possibly need it more than him. Alberto accompanied me to my hostel. We left the busy center and cut through farm fields on footpaths that we shared with farm animals. We passed humble brick homes and farmers working the land, testament to the town's rural roots. Alberto pointed to one hill, explaining that it was called Podporto, site of the Marian apparition. I resolved to visit it the next day. Was it very difficult for you being here, I asked. I know you didn't have a lot of money when we separated. I haven't had a coin in my pocket for a month, Alberto replied. What? I gasped. During my walk alone, he responded, I realized that money was another challenge on my spiritual path that I needed to deal with. I've told you before, I grew up believing that money and spirituality were incompatible and that poverty was an honorable path to God. I've done a lot of healing work there and I long ago opened myself to receive abundance. But walking alone, I realized that to receive that abundance, I needed to release my fears about not having enough money and to trust that I would always get what I needed. I couldn't prove that to myself with you by my side, naturally offering me security. So when people occasionally asked me for money, I began to give it to them. I gave away my last 10 euro bill about a month ago and have been living without money since then. But how could you give away all your money? I asked in astonishment. Because the following words always came to my mind when people asked for it. He replied, I know that the universe will always give me what I need, but they don't. It was an important test of my faith because by giving to them, I was demonstrating to myself that I believe in what I say. Now I know that I can walk to Jerusalem without worrying about how much I have in my pocket. 
I gazed with wonder at the pilgrim walking beside me. I admired him tremendously, but didn't know if I could ever do what he did. So where are you sleeping then, Alberto? I asked. Father Svetozar didn't seem to know who you were. It's one of those magical stories, Moni, that perfectly portrays my experience walking alone, he replied. I arrived in Medjugorje on February the 25th, feeling strong, full of faith, more confident in myself than ever. I immediately headed to Port Bordeaux Hill, site of the apparition. I don't know why, but I noticed planes flying over my head, all going in that direction. They looked like white arrows pointing for me to go there. So I did. When I got to the base of the hill, a building under construction caught my attention. Not only was it physically the closest to the site of the apparitions, but from one of the cement ledges, I saw a small statue of Mary looking down on me. She looked so out of place there that I felt as if she was personally welcoming me. I greeted her and said thank you, and then walked up the hill. I won't tell you my impressions until you see it first. The day passed quickly for me. I picked up the monthly message that the visionaries had received from Mary, but I found it to be a conservative Catholic perspective and not at all the universal message of peace that I had expected. I immediately dismissed the message, knowing there was another reason for my being here, and so opened myself to exploring what that was. When nighttime fell, I went to the church office to ask for help. I began to introduce myself, but the young monk who answered the door cut me off, dismissively asking, Okay, okay, what do you want? I looked at him firmly and replied, I want to speak with someone who is willing to listen. The monk looked surprised, and in a more respectful tone, asked me to continue. I explained my situation, and I saw that he was more open than before. And when I finished, he left for a few moments and came back with a large handful of bills, saying, with this, you have enough to wait for your friend for a few days. I said to him, I don't need money, just a roof over my head. But he kept insisting that I take the money ever more sincerely, which I appreciated. But I tried explaining that I was looking for spiritual, not only physical shelter. But he became increasingly frustrated and abruptly slammed the door in my face. Alberto paused and seemed to be reflecting. I think I made a mistake, he finally said. In all cases, it paved the way for what happened next. What happened next? I asked. Well, as you can imagine, I was in shock. I walked away from the church office not knowing what to do. I looked around and saw that the square was abandoned. I was completely alone. The night was cold and the wind cut through to my bones. I went to the center of the church square and waited for some miracle to happen. Here I am, mother, I pleaded, looking up at the heavens. Help me, I said. For the first time, I noticed the full moon. That night, it was radiant and resplendent, shining like a nighttime sun, surrounded by a huge halo of rainbow colors. I had never seen anything like it before. 
I felt a tremendous love knowing that she, my Divine Mother, was shining down on me, watching over me. But with my feet beginning to freeze and my body to shiver in the bitter night's cold, I decided to walk around the church to warm up. I was waiting for something to happen and repeating over and again, I trust in you, Mother. Here I am. I was thinking about looking for an abandoned house when I heard a noise overhead. It was a plane, one of the many that I had seen earlier, flying in the direction of Port Bordeaux. I took it as a sign and decided to follow it. My head was arguing that the hill was rocky and there was nowhere to sleep, but I shut it down. If you hold to the known, you can never discover the unknown, I thought, remembering one of my favorite quotes. I had only ever walked to Port Bordeaux during the day, and now in the total darkness of the night, on a country road surrounded by open fields, I didn't know how to get there. I heard dogs barking behind me and hurried my step. Suddenly, a small dog passed me, its nails clicking distinctly against the pavement. Guide me to the hill, I whispered. The dog stopped and looked at me as if it had heard me. We gazed at each other for a few moments, and then it turned and continued ahead. I had no idea where it was going, but at that moment, that dog was my angel and I was following it. It led me down one road after another. Whenever it got too far ahead or arrived at an intersection, it would stop and look back and then wait for me to catch up. Every hair on my body was standing on end, let me tell you. A van passed me on this road, surprising me. Its driver stuck his head out the window and stared at me, but continued onwards. The dog continued ahead, and soon we arrived to what I recognized to be the small village at the base of Port Bordeaux. The dog stopped at the final intersection and waited for me to arrive. To my left was the hill of the apparitions, to my right was the village, and ahead the road continued. The dog went to the right and again turned its head and looked at me, its eyes gently asking me to follow. I hesitated, my heart pulling me towards the hill, but decided to continue with my angel instead. I took my first step towards the dog. Hello, a voice called out in English. I turned to see the driver of the van getting out just at that moment. I returned his greeting and told him I was Spanish. He answered, Que necesitas? What do you need? He spoke Spanish. Can you believe that? I replied, Solo un techo, only a roof over my head, and briefly explained what I was doing. The man was amazed by my story and asked me to follow him. He started towards the hill, in the opposite direction of the dog. I turned to say goodbye to my little canine angel, but he was already gone. I walked in a daze, feeling as if I was in some surreal movie. Only a roof? The man asked again. Yes, nothing more, I replied. He stopped in front of a building under construction. I stared at it, 
in bewilderment. It was the last building on the hill, the very same one I had seen that morning. And there she was again, on the ledge, the statue of Maria, lovingly gazing down at me in the night, walking me back. I trembled with emotion. The three-story brick and cement building was bare. The wind howled through the cavities that would one day become doors and windows. The man was its night watchman and led me up the stairs to a room with fully constructed walls. He cleaned out some of the materials, assuring me that I would be warm here. He covered the open window with a wooden plank and unfolded a discarded bamboo curtain as a mat. I felt as if I was in a dream, watching him moving about the room, preparing it as if he was readying it for an honored guest. I repeated the word gracias over and again, not knowing what else to say. The kind man just kept saying it was nothing. And when he finished, shook my hand, promising to return the following morning with hot coffee. I lay in my sleeping bag that night, warm and comfortable, grateful beyond words, emotions pouring out of me that I can't properly articulate. After a 17-day initiatic journey of magical experiences and revelations, I was in Medjugorje on the night of the 25th, as I had intended. I was sleeping at the base of Apparition Hill, symbolically the closest that I could be to my beloved Holy Mother. I was miraculously guided here and helped under the most amazing full moon that I can ever remember. I could see her there, radiant in the dark sky, crowned by that mysterious night rainbow and draped by innumerable stars. I felt totally submerged in her presence. I felt at peace. I felt in love. It was the grandest day of my life. Alberto's face glowed softly in the setting sun and radiated some of the emotion that I was sure he felt that miraculous night. We had arrived at my hostel and so said our goodnights, agreeing to meet the following morning. There was so much more to say, but for now, it was enough that we were together again.